The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Welcome to the second episode in Relationships and Writing, and today we are going to talk about the best ship, friendship. I'm sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't resist. <laughs> in the last episode, we talked about romantic relationships, and this is going to mirror that in a way because like romantic relationships in writing, friendships also need to feel realistic. And so today I thought we would talk a little bit about how to um, base, what to base your friendships on inside of your story and how to get that information and what to think about. And I also wanted to go over two really great examples of uh, friendship in literature and uh in this instance, I wanted to examine a case or two cases where friendship does not turn into anything more. And because those kinds of relationships are important in real life and in books, and I also am going to do an episode at the end of this series uh, where I talk about friends to lovers, and I've just decided this also enemies to lovers because I can't resist. Just like I couldn't resist telling you that horrible ship joke. And I'm sure I got it a little bit wrong, but oh well. Okay, now we're going to talk about the best place to start when you're trying to write a friendship that feels real. And this is going to make you uncomfortable uh, because that's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing I ask you to do in the name of writing quite often. But the best place to start is inside of your head. And so what you need to do is use expensive words. And expensive words are words that you write that are based on uh, some feeling you had, some real thing that happened. And these words are difficult for writers to use because they're emotionally taxing. But uh, I promise they are the best kinds of words to create an actual human connection with your reader. And that's why I use them, even though I get tired and sometimes I need to take a break. And that's why I'm encouraging you to use them. And I, I don't know, maybe you're not like me, but I've had a lot of uh, uncomfortable endings and moments in friendships, and I think that's part of being willing to uh, enter into that kind of relationship with someone, and a lot of those moments fuel really interesting scenes that I write, and so I'm not just saying think about all the good things. I'm saying think about all the things. Think about wh which relationships, you know, friendships, you've been in that have proven themselves against the test of time? Uh, who's your oldest friend? Who is someone that you don't see very often, but when you see them, it, you pick up as if you had never been apart? Because I definitely have friends like that. And then, uh, you know, in order to have friends like that, you have to be secure enough in your own skin to know that when they're busy and they're not talking to you, it's not because they stopped loving you. It's just because life happens 
and you know that you'll get a chance to catch up next time you're together. Uh, I would also ask you to think about which things inside of your friendship would you do over. And I can think of a particularly difficult moment where I was sitting in a friend's uh, room and I had just gotten a new CD and I really wanted her to listen to it with me because I thought this CD is special and she was not interested at all. And she's like, well, if you're going to listen to this in my room, I'm going to go into the living room. And I was like, well, I want to listen to it. And, uh, you know, like I just didn't say anything and she left the room. And I was thinking, like, I wish I could, I guess I'm just going to listen to this by myself. And looking back, I think, you know, maybe I should have said to her, hey, uh, I've listened to a lot of CDs and you've you've introduced me to a lot of great music that I didn't know about before. But um, I would love it if you would just listen to this and see if you like it and if you can find any (laughs) redeemable thing in it because uh, I feel like this album is pretty monumental. Not that I knew how to use the word monumental when I was the age that this happened at, but you know, I was a teenager and that I can still, I mean, I still remember what it felt like sitting in her room, not at my own house, at her house, listening to a CD and thinking, I can only do the things she wants to do. This friendship doesn't really go two ways. Uh, And eventually the friendship evolved and it did go two ways, but you know, that was a painful moment for me. And, uh, you know, I could have been like, well, we don't have to listen to it. We can just hang out, whatever. Or I'm just going to go in the living room. But I was like, you know, I want to listen to this right now. And looking back, I don't, I don't think my uh, noticing this album was wrong. And I still listen to it sometimes as an adult, because the music is so good. It makes me want to cry. But it, it's not... (laughs) I'll tell you, it's a, it's an album by Lit. And um, uh, there's a song on there, You're the Perfect One. And I really love that song. It still makes me want to tear up when I hear it uh, because it was the first time I had ever been introduced to the idea that someone who loves you won't try to change everything about you. And I hadn't understood that concept of what unconditional love could be like. And it was like my teenage ears were like, wait, what? Because uh, growing up, my parents were always trying to change each other. And, um, you know, this is not a surprise to anyone, myself included, but they're divorced now. And I, I just didn't see that in their relationship, that they were like unconditionally supportive of each other. So that was the first time I had been introduced to that idea. And it was profound for me. And also the music is good. Okay. I know that like it came out in the 90s. And it, we all try to pretend like ska didn't, <laughs> didn't happen. It wasn't uh, mainstream as far as music. But I don't think they're ska. I think they're like a mix between uh, ska slash indie rock slash like their song lyrics are more emo. So they were kind of he- ahead of their time in that. But so I just, you know, I think about my friendship and all the moments in my life And that one moment, and it boils down to that moment when I was trying to discover something and my friend didn't support that discovery. And that would make a really interesting short story. That would make a really interesting interesting scene inside of a book. And so if you're like, oh, Kristen, I don't want to talk about those things. That sounds so painful. I'm going to tell you pain can be used for your benefit as a writer. 
it's a very valuable tool to you. I use the word very. I shouldn't use the word very because you shouldn't use the word very because it means nothing. Uh, it means almost nothing. <laughs> Any uh, good copy editor will edit it out of your story. But listen, if there's a profound moment in your life, just as a writing exercise, if you want to understand how to write more realistic friendships, sit down and write about that profound moment, how you felt about your friend in that moment, and what you learned about yourself from going through that moment. And you will have a better basis for writing realistic friendships. So that's my question to you. Which things would you do over? Uh, like I said, you can do a writing exercise about that, and it will help bring some clarity to your friendships. And, you know, also, when you're learning how to be a person, which is what's happening as you're growing up, you have to give other people around you a lot of grace. And so now that I'm an adult, I would never be mad at my friend for doing that. I wish I would have stood up for myself at the time, but I didn't know how to do that. And, you know, she also was developing as a person and she's turned into an amazing adult whom I love very much. So it, it's just one of those things where you have to figure out where's your character in their journey? Where's the friend in their journey? Because each character has their own journey. And how do they collide and how do they go together? And that brings us to our next point. And uh, I'm going to talk about The Expanse again, <laughs> which if you haven't read it and you love science fiction or you love uh, planetary colonization type stories, it's so good. And I cannot wait for the last book to come out. There's still not a publication date, which I'm very sad about. But I brought it up because this story has lots of great examples of platonic friendship. And I wanted to talk about one specifically, which is the relationship between Amos and Naomi. Uh, I'll try my best not to give any spoilers because I want you to read The Expanse series. And because um, there's a bunch of books. And the, the thing is, uh, Amos and Naomi are good friends. They're friends from the beginning. We don't even know them before they're friends. And the rest of the characters become friends as the story goes on. So they're the only two that are established as having a relationship from the very beginning. And we see that in their friendship, they bring something important to each other. Uh, Amos brings a sort of safety to Naomi where even from the very beginning in the first book, you see that he will do anything to protect her. And like physically, he'll beat someone up in order to protect her. Whereas Naomi brings a type of balance into Amos's life that he needs because of stuff that happened to him in the past. Like I said, I'm not going to give any spoilers. Uh, and that they have this understanding, like I bring you this, you bring me this, we love each other, and they don't judge each other. And when they do question one another, if they're like, are you sure you want to do this? It means something because they're so supportive of each other. They have each other's backs, but like in a quiet and adorable, endearing kind of way. And they, you know, when one of them has to say something, that means, hey, you've got to check this. And that's a really lovely friendship. I, I love it so much. I mean, it's, it. It maintains through all the books, uh, and you get to see them interact with other shipmates, too, and they develop um, other relationships, and Amos is definitely my favorite character in the whole story, and he becomes friends with this other character, uh, and at some point, I, I can't really tell you that much about this other character <laughs> if you haven't read the series yet, because 
she kind of makes all these different changes, which are very important to, important to the plot. But at some point, Amos has this thing where he gives everybody nicknames, and you can't you can't say no. And the only one he doesn't really give a nickname to is Naomi, which is great. Uh, that shows you. He's like, their relationship is a different level, but he becomes friends uh, with someone that is an unlikely friend, and he calls her Peaches, and that's a very sweet relationship as well. Uh, and he, I mean, if you want to see good examples of friendships in writing, I would say read the Expanse series, all of the books, uh, I have read all of the updated. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm waiting for the last book to come out. But to me, um, these books are a testament to how powerful friendship can be. Because even though there are romantic relationships inside of the book, uh, to me, the thing that sticks out the most is these friendships and also the crew of the Rossi uh, as they grow and change and their complicated lives and the way they confide in each other. It's so wonderful and refreshing, and I loved it. And I really haven't seen anything uh, quite that complicated and nuanced in uh, science fiction. So I was very glad for it. And, you know, of course, it reminds me a little bit of Star Wars, which is not science fiction, by the way. It's considered space opera, or I would call it space fantasy is my preferred uh, name for that genre. But you see these, it's the relationships that pulled me in. Honestly, because I was like, I can't watch Star Wars one more time because I watched it so many times with my brother and my dad and I never quite got it. I never became a fan. And then I married my husband and he is really into Star Wars. And then we started meeting all these Star Wars fans when we lived in Greece and we got really, really, really into it. I would say that um, you could easily call us super fans. And the thing that drew me in, though, once I was going to like sit back and examine this thing that my husband loved that I was going to have to either put up with or learn to love myself, I realized these relationships are great. And because of the friendships, that's why I was in. And, um, you know, familial relations as well, which I am not going to give a spoiler warning for Star Wars ever. If you haven't seen any of the films yet, uh, you really should. And you you can go, like, let's say you're like, I don't like that kind of stuff approach Star Wars from the point of understanding the relationships the characters have with each other. And I guarantee you'll see a different side to it. Uh, and if you still hate it, fine. You can write me an email and say, Kristen, you wasted so many hours of my life. And I'll be like, okay, but at least you learn all these cool plot devices and stuff. And you'll be like, okay, that's true. <laughs> and then we'll just be like, hey, we're not angry at each other. We're friends, right? Uh, because I do think of you as my friend. And the, the last example that I want to give is... Um, a fangirl example as well. I can't help. I'm, I'm a fangirl. You know that about me. And uh, I want to talk about the Anne, the Anne series. The first book is Anne of Green Gables, and you have, like, Anne of Avonlea. Uh, there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. I have read all of the ones about Anne. I have not read the ones that Ellen Montgomery wrote about uh, Anne's daughters because I I just wasn't interested in them anymore. I kind of was like and out in a good way. But I wanted to talk about Anne Shirley and Diana Barry. And uh, Maria, if you're listening to this episode, which I know you will, you have to read Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> I've been telling her this for like the last two years. I'm like, please, please just read Anne of Green Gables. You don't have to read any of the other books, but just read this book. And um, 
And no, watching the watching the show on Netflix is not an acceptable replacement because the story's too different. So Anne Shirley uh, is basically she's an orphan. Both of her parents were teachers, and they died. This is not a spoiler, by the way. You find all this out really quickly uh, in the first book, Anne of Green Gables, by Ellen Montgomery, and. She is kind of uh, hoisted around. Uh, she doesn't really fit into her group home, and she gets she basically is turned into like a child slave, where these moms who have too many kids, which was a real thing, uh, they take Anne and like foster her so that she'll take care of the kids. And uh, so, like I said, they treat her like a slave, and she has this escapist uh, mentality that she uses to survive these horrible situations. And, you know, I want to say that Ellen Montgomery was way ahead of her time in understanding what social justice issues were and meant to women. And there are all these wonderful um, undertones of uh, what we would now call the modern feminist movement back then in these books. And also the other thing that I love about Ellen Montgomery is that she shares the same uh, belief system that I ascribe to, which I do not find in a lot of amazing authors like this so I feel like you know she was a feminist she she loved Jesus she's got all these things uh that I can relate to as an author but the thing is the lady could write I am telling you if you have not read Anne of Green Gables just read the first few pages and tell me I'm wrong okay but the thing is Anne has lived a lonely existence She's been uh, by her, you know, she she doesn't really remember her parents very well. She's lived in a group home that was awful, uh, which reminds me of Jane Eyre, which is why probably the Netflix filmmakers make so many references to Jane Eyre in their adaptation of the story, which is not very close to the actual story. And uh, so she ends up getting sent to live with Matthew and, and Marilla Cutbert, who are Cutbert who are brother and sister, and they're a really interesting couple. I mean, they're not a couple. They're brother and sister. They're a really interesting. Uh, they're very interesting characters to look at, and Travis is always like, you should do a whole episode on them, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should. So maybe I will do that eventually because it's it's true. They're interesting, um, but they are getting older, and they would like to have a, a boy come help Matthew on the farm, and they send for a child, and they end up getting Anne. And Anne is not what they asked for at all. She can't help them farm. She can't do all the things a boy could do. And on top of it, she has this really over-the-top personality. And she basically blows up Matthew and Marilla's lives. And right uh, in the next farm over, or like really close, there's this girl her age named Diana Barry. And Diana and Anne should not be friends. I'll just tell you that straight out. They don't come from the same kind of situation. Diana's family is pretty loaded, and they're very conservative uh, and in the sense that they think that uh, Marilla and Matthew adopting a girl is quite scandalous. And so you just, Anne is like, we're going to be bosom friends. We're kindred spirits. And if you ever hear the phrase kindred spirit, that's where it comes from. It comes from this book. And what it means is that you found someone who loves you wholly and completely, even though maybe you don't really relate to each other in a lot of ways, because Anne is very intelligent and um, <laughs> has no problem expressing herself. And Diana Barry is, is quiet and reserved, and uh, she's not on the same page as Anne as far as intellectual uh, ability and... <laughs> 
I hate to call her dumb. Like, she's just not that interested in school stuff. She's happy to be a mom and a wife, which I think uh, Ellen Montgomery set them up against each other on purpose to create, um, you know, kind of the opposite of what Anne is. But the fact that they could be kindred spirits and best friends, and you see them go through all these adventures and misadventures together, is something so precious and priceless. And I would say when you're thinking about what kind of friends to have in your story, think about someone who's opposite of them because you can use that dynamic to your advantage just like Ellen Montgomery did with Diana and Anne. And you can also show people the very true fact that I used very again, the true fact that when you're friends with someone who's very, who's different than you, it actually makes you a better person and a more compassionate and understanding person. And uh, it changes you in a good way. And that's something that you should definitely be open to. And guess what? Just because someone doesn't agree with you on everything or isn't exactly like you doesn't mean you should not uh, float the friendship toward them. That was also a horrible pun. I don't apologize, though. So when you're thinking of what kind of friendship you should make in your story, these are all really good examples. You can go read some. But, you know, like I said, the, be the best place to start is inside your head. Start journaling about the relationships you've had in your life. And remember, humans are not perfect, and that means they have complicated interactions with each other. And that means that they do things like fight. So if you have a friendship in your story, you might want to have them fight over something. Uh, just make sure that it furthers the plot and don't make it an issue of miscommunication, which there's a whole episode on expensive words about why I hate that. And also, you need to think about the same idea that you thought about for the romantic relationships. Is this relationship healthy or unhealthy? And I would love to see more healthy friendships uh, where both characters can be themselves, like Amos and Naomi, and there's room for mistakes and there's a lot of compassion and empathy because those are so good and they make you feel so wonderful and you always want to read about characters like that. So next we're going to cover family. That's why I'm laughing because I'm like, how am I going to cover this without offending any person I'm directly related to? But, you know, when we get there, we'll see. Thank you for taking this friendship ride with me. Once again, a horrible pun. And I'm excited to talk to you about family relationships and writing when we get to the next episode in the Relationships and Writing series. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer and I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. <laughs> <laughs>